not one image showed a woman laying down giving birth. They were either up against a wall, they were squatting, they had their doula holding them. Why did they let you suffer? They should have just taken you into theatre, cut you open, got the baby out, job done. Hello, this is Rina and you're listening to The Sisterhood of Mommy Imperfect, the weekly podcast where I explore different aspects of womanhood every week with the help of my wonderful guests. So as you know, I'm a mom of three and motherhood and childbirth is something that I explore a lot and I have explored a lot on this podcast over the last two years. And to be honest, childbirth, right? I find it amazing. I found it fascinating horrifying, empowering, traumatizing, all those things, all the feels, like it, it ain't no joke. And in this episode, I'm going to be talking about how to make that experience the best it can be. Like one of the ways that women can do this is to use a doula. So no, that is not a sponge on a stick that you wash your back with, which is what I thought it was back in the day. It, that's a loofah, by the way. What is a doula, right? So my, my guest this episode is training to be one. And she's also going to help me to bust some pregnancy and fertility myths, particularly ones that the South Asian community seem to have. So it is Mama Four, doula in training, the woman behind the popular Insta account Seek Mum. Welcome, sis Naroop, to the sisterhood of Mummy Imperfect. Thank you so much for having me. I've, um, it's a great honour to be here. Well, it's really good to have you. And you know, there's so much that we can talk about. You know, so we've just been having a little chat about other things and you know I, I wanted at some point talk to you about things like your faith and raising kids and faith and that kind of thing but then today you're here to talk about this other aspect of your life you're training to be a doula at the moment you know and you're a mama for yourself which is obviously no joke that's a, <laughs> it's a lot going on um so for people that don't know what is a doula a doula a doula is someone like you and me it could be anybody but somebody who really wants to support a mother. So a doula is somebody who mothers the mother. Um, also, a doula can be called um, a birthing keeper or a birth keeper. And um, it's in, in, in the South Asian community, um, the word is they say they um, for mm -hmm. a doula. Okay. And that was the woman, um, you know, back in the day who would come to the villages and when the, the mother would be birthing or starting her birth, um, she would be, she would come over and she would just support the mum in that, in that moment and in that time. And it, it's, um, it's a massive, massive, um, tradition. It's been done for hundreds and hundreds of years since the beginning of time. A doula has been there since the beginning of time, since the beginning of birth. And, and it's, it's a lost tradition. Um, and birth has become very different, become very clinical. And what's happened with that is the idea and the kind of focus around doula, being a doula has mm -hmm. been lost as well but ultimately a doula can be anyone it can be you and me it's just someone who wants to mother a mother and really focus on what her needs are you know what Navrup, that when you break it down like that like it's such an obvious thing and yes it's been happening since the beginning of time we all know those women who do that right but then I think because we don't hear that word doula a lot and the, the first time 
I actually was introduced to what a doula is and some people have doulas was watching American TV when someone was like, oh my God, where's my doula? I need to have my doula. And it's like, you think, oh, this is like a thing that like posh white women who are alternative, they have yes. this doula. Everybody else just goes to hospital and lies on a bed and hopes for the best, right? So yes. that is what <laughs> that is what I thought, right? And I would, I've had three children and I would have never considered, oh, I need a doula, right? Right. You know, um, I mean, I don't know. Uh, what do you think about the way that, I mean, did you have one yourself? Let's, let's, let's put that out there first. Um, when, so uh, when I was pregnant with my second child, mm. um, my husband booked me um, a massage, a pregnancy massage. It was a surprise. And the person that turned, that soul that turned up at my door was a connection with me from lifetimes though. And when she touched my body um, to give me a massage, she, there was a connection between the two of us that was so profound. Um, and she went on to become my doula, not in birth, but in post and pre um, a pregnancy and so yes I did have a doula I didn't have her in the full capacity of that she was there at, there at my births but mm -hmm. she did support me before and after and even now she's one of my closest friends and I couldn't even imagine my life without her and I think that's that's the that's the first thing I want to say about me and my introduction to what a doula is and I and when you said to me what is a doula and I said to you it's you and me because when I said to her what is a doula she said it's you and me it's anyone mm -hmm. who wants to support a mother in that that moment in her life when she's having a child that that moment when she is at her most powerful um and it's had a profound effect on me and I don't even know if she understands to what degree because now I am in practice myself. Um, when you're talking about kind of your perception of what a doula is and how it's kind of perceived on the TV and things like that and you know there I think that it because it's become a lost because it has become a lost tradition and mm. it's only kind of under the radar. If you're in the community and you're in that space, then you will know that there's such yeah. a thing. Um, but um, I think white privilege does really come into it in terms mm. of people who have the money, then they would go out and they feel that they need that, um, which is, which is fine, which is, which is, you know, their, their kind of destiny to experience such a thing. But that doesn't mean that we should not feel the doula within us. Like I had a sister before I even considered um, being a doula. Um, my sister, I have one sister. And when she was um, pregnant, she said to me, I'd really love for you to be at the birth of the child. And I said, yeah. And after her birth, and I was reflecting on that whole experience, and I was telling Natalie, my doula, um, and she said to me, you are a doula you literally have done everything she you did not care about what the medical professional said you did not care what, what her mm. husband needed you did not care about anything but what she needed in that moment and that is what a doula is and that's the that main thing that we need to be thinking about regardless of what your perception is if you feel that you need that support it's okay to ask for it and it's okay to go for it mm. but sometimes in south asian communities especially it's it's you shouldn't pay for these things. You shouldn't be, do you should be able to do these things by yourselves because women have been doing it for centuries. You know, mm. even if I think about my grandmother, my dad was telling me when she, my, my grandmother had 13 children and they were raised in, in Africa in the jungle. And they had this massive house in the middle of nowhere. And he said, whenever she was due, she would 
whenever she she you know can you know her surges would start for birth she would literally walk to the door pick up two bricks and walk into the jungle and someone used to go and send um you know like a messenger to go and get the dai or the doula mm. and literally she used to go put her feet on both bricks and she used to birth in a squatting position hold the baby herself and the dai or the doula would support her through that but actually not really touch her unless she needed it and and she would do it all by herself and that's that's the lost tradition mm-hmm. here and the doula is here to say you believe in your intuition you believe in the power of your body yeah. and who you are as a woman that's what god created and you can do it all by yourself and no one has to touch you and i'm a testament to that my first birth my first child was very clinical and when I think about mm-hmm. the interruptions that I had, there was no way I was going to be able to have um, a natural birth or undisturbed birth, as they say. But when I think about the progression to my fourth child, no one touched me. I, I caught him myself. I got up myself. I picked up. I was walking moments later. I had no intervention whatsoever. And that's because I was able to really connect with who I am. And that's what a doula is here to do, to remind the mother of that. Yeah. Um, you know, you know what, Navrup, I had a similar experience with my first. So she is 12 years old now. And I feel like in my head, I thought I was going to go to a birthing center, not even hospital. I was like, I'm just going to go to a birthing center, put my music on, sit in the, the, the pool and, you know, go la la la. And the baby's going to come out. Like I was literally in that birthing center for two staff changes because I was there for that long. And they were like, mm, this is not happening for you. You know, um, I think my daughter's head was in a funny position and whatever. So I had to go to the hospital. Now, the minute I went to the hospital, I was so tired because this has been like a day and a night, you know, that I'd been like pacing around and wondering why nothing was happening. As soon as I went to hospital, I was like, give me the drugs. Everything changed. I was like, I can't take this anymore. I'm too tired. I don't care. Like, you know, she came up with full steps. And before that, even there were people trying to do internal examinations. And when I say people, obviously the medical professionals, but different people, a midwife would try to put a hand up, turn the baby's head, you know, then somebody else would do an internal examination. I felt so poked and prodded to the point where after I'd had her, I could still, I still felt the sensation of people's hands up there yeah. because I'd felt like, you know, how many internal examinations, who's going to do that? Such a violation. And I, and I, and I get it. And I, and then, you know, some people were like, I can't believe they let you carry on like that. I, they should have just been like, you know, it's been like 12 hours or whatever. They should have just done a cesarean because there's that school of thought as well, where people are like, why did they let you suffer? They should have just taken you into theatre, cut you open, got the baby out, job done. Why did they let you even carry on um, to that? Because, you know, in India, I think it's, it's just like cesareans are more common, especially like, I don't know about the bins and stuff, but I know in the cities, it's like, oh yeah, you've been pushing for like two minutes cesarean, you know, not like that, yeah. but you know what I mean? It's very, very common. Yeah. So there is, and, and then part of me thought, well, maybe that was how it had to be so that I didn't die. I don't know. But you know, like if I was to go step by step through your whole experience, I know you've just kind of done a high level kind of Mm. telling me the experience, but if I was to probably, I could probably tell you, like even from what you were saying, I can tell you like five things that were said to you that would be blocking your oxytocin, which is what helps the baby to progress um, and for the body to relax into kind of natural birth. Mm. Um, And also probably um, I'm one, like, you know, there are, when a woman's pregnant, she when a woman is birthing she goes into a mode an animalistic mode she will be wanting to move her body 
and she can't control that and it feels very rhythmic to her and it's important to just allow that to happen and the reason I say that is because if a mother is moving in a rhythmic position it might be because the baby's in the wrong position and her instinct is making her move to help the baby move mm. but when they put you on a gurney and say just lay down here there is no way that's going to happen. Mm. That's no way the natural order is going to be able to take its place because you're being forced to do something that is unnatural. And I'm going to tell you a little thing. One thing I've learned through my doula course is that we studied um, images throughout centuries mm -hmm. of women birthing. Not one image, I'm talking about from the Roman times, Egypt, India, Malaysia, um, uh, Asia, all of those Aboriginal, all of the pictures that we studied, not one image showed a woman laying down, giving birth. They were either up against a wall, they were squatting, they had their doula holding them, they were leaning. There was all these, these kind of vertical, vertical positions where they were all birthing. But then, then comes Queen Elizabeth, uh, Queen, uh, Queen Victoria, um, and she's going to have a baby, and her husband, Prince Albert, decides, I want to see this happen. So he says, I want you to design something where I can see right into her vagina when the baby's coming out. And that's where the idea of laying flat on your back and stirrups comes from, because they were made for her, to put her legs there right. so he could be there and watch. The and since then women have always laid on their back to give birth, which is one of the most unnatural positions to give birth in. So I think that there are a lot of blockages within the medical, I, the medical, uh, we're very lucky to have Western medicine. And, um, you know, I even think to myself, you know, would my child, my eldest, she's 12 too, would she be here because of the interventions that had to happen? But at the same time, would I have had that experience if I had had so many people pocket, prodding and poking at yeah. me and telling me to lay down and, you know, encouraging me to take drugs and, and all these kinds of things, which is what I, which is already very damaging to, to, you know, kind of having an undisturbed, uh, you know, birthing experience. Mm. So it's, there's, it's a kind of a catch 22, but it's, we're kind of caught in a cycle and a doula's here to kind of help um mothers to really really connect with their intuition and follow what they feel and also to know their rights that you do not need to have an internal sweep or you do not need to have an internal examination unless you are giving permission for that um, there are other ways to tell how dilated you are without right. doing an internal dilate uh, without doing an internal kind of um um examination and these are the things that I'm learning on the course and I was just like I wish that had happened to me so you know that would have avo avoided effect infection at this point and that point mm. yeah I mean well it's only like when I had my my last baby you know and that was five years ago that I totally changed my point of view because with my second who was born 18 months after my first I was actually still quite traumatized from that first birth so that somebody suggested to me one of the midwives do you want to go to the birthing center I was like mm -mm, no I'm going straight to hospital I need yeah. all the drugs and then when I uh, when I went there like I tried to stay at home for as long as possible which I didn't do the first time and I think it's obviously a really good thing to do um so when I when I went to the hospital they were like um do you want to try bouncing up and down on the board I was like no I want an epidural that is what I want. All I cared about was that epidural. I swear to God, all I cared about was that epidural. Do you want to walk? No, I don't I want an epidural. You know, 
you want to try this? No, <laughs> anything. Yeah. And it's, and you know, and it was because I was like, no, that's the only way I'm going to get through. Cause I ended up having an epidural um, the first time, but uh, you know, I wanted an epidural so that I could actually feel some stuff. So I had that. And then, um, you know, I, I, it was still like, I had to put my legs on the midwife's shoulders and I get different midwives in to help me push. And it was still like a 10 hour labor and whatever, but it was slightly better than the first time. Now, because um, then five and a half years had gone by before I had my last baby, you know, you get this rose tinted view, which I personally think is nature, because if you were traumatized all the time, you never have any more kids, right? So I feel like all of that went away. And I was like, oh, you know what? It's all right. And then somebody said to me, do you want to go to the birthing center? I was like, why not? It's my last baby. You know, is it all right for me to go? Yeah, go. And so I, I then read this book and I can't remember what it's called, but it's something to do with natural birth. And I watched a few YouTube videos about a specific type of breathing, breathing the baby out. So I kind of thought, okay, let me do this. Let me trust my own body. Let me go with my instincts. And so I tried to stay at home as long as possible. I went into myself. I did a kind of, I wasn't noisy or anything. Like I was really in, into myself with internal, with the breathing and everything, you know, um, and I just remember going to that birthing center. I, I weighed myself a packed lunch while I was in the labor. And I was on the birthing ball eating a sandwich that I made for myself. Amazing. Talking Amazing. to the midwife. Um, and the birthing center was, was beautiful. Like it was, it was like a hotel. It was really nice. So anyway, I was there. And then my water suddenly broke when I was on that ball. Now, when my water broke, that intense pressure of the baby's head was like, Oh my gosh, that was then, then I was like, oh my God. And then something, I don't know why, and I don't know why this kicked in after all these years, something kicked in inside me. I was like, I need to go on all fours. Like, I was literally, I don't know what it was, but I just felt like, no, 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 the way that I'm going to deal with this, I need to be on all fours, right? So then I was like that for a while. I tried to get, I, I've read also, don't take gas in air until you really, really need to, right? If you need to. And then I wanted to be in the pool. So they were like, okay, you need to go in the pool now because if you want to go, it's coming soon. I went in the pool, right? And I was so surprised that I was thought there was going to be pokes and prodding and everything. The midwife, she was standing back. She, I was like, okay. She was like, if, are you all right? You know, and I went, I'm supposed to be pushing. She went, you know what? If you feel like pushing, push if you want to. That's okay. And I was thinking, hey, because in the hospital, it's so different you know, my husband was there, like, you know, he's, he's good, but he's still, I think men are different from women. They still really can't ever understand it. So, you know, and then I was taking a bit of gas in there and then she said, okay, in a minute, you're going to see your baby floating in the water. So you can look down, you're going to see a baby and then pick them up. And I was thinking, really? Because this doesn't seem right. It's not like it was in the hospital. That's exactly what happened. And I still, it's a really beautiful memory for me to just look down you know, after those pushes, look down and then see my baby in the water. And then they kind of helped me to hold her, put a little towel over her and stuff. And I was kind of holding her for a while like that. But it was just nice. And I was back home lunchtime. That was three o'clock in the morning. Lunchtime, the same day I was at home. And it was, it went so nice that my husband actually, when we went home, went, that was really good. Shall we have another one? <laughs> and I was like, no, you know what? Let's not get carried away. We're not. Um, but thank that, you so much thank you so much for um sharing that that was so beautiful i got tears in my eyes because that that's the power of us 
you know that's the that's the power of the woman and it's so sad that you know we live in a world where that's blocked every day by this yeah. patriarchal kind of society mm-hmm. and to hear stories like that you know you you read like one book you watched like a, a few you know youtube yeah. videos but that was enough for you to connect with yourself yeah. and the power of of what you you were born to do that you know you did you didn't no one said to you you know go on all fours no one said that to you you just knew that that's what you needed to do to do now imagine if you are a young mum or you're like you know a rape victim Mm. or somebody who is in a position where you know they're very disconnected from this whole process and all they're going to do is listening to what the medical professionals are saying and the thing is I don't want this to be a bashing of the medical system, uh, you know, the medical system, mm. but you know, they, they are, it's all numbers for them. It's a factory line. Now they have lots of protocols to follow. Mm. They have lots of risk assessments that they have to take into account. And what they what's happened as a result of that is this kind of idea of naturally birthing our children. And what I mean that by that is if you have to have a C-section, you have to have a C-section. It can still be a natural experience. Yeah. You can still create that atmosphere if you want, but it's lost and we're not, it's, it's not encouraged if you are a mother who's going in and saying, I want to be in the birthing center, I want to have low lights, I want to have, and these, all these things you've described, um, these are all things that release oxytocin into the body. And when you release um, a high level of oxytocin into the body, this becomes a natural pain relief. Yeah. So that's why you'll find that you didn't need. So you're probably thinking, well, how come then I need, really needed it, mm. really needed the drugs. But here it, it just kind of, I didn't need it. Why? Why is that? And that's because you were in a, a space that was not clinical. You were warm in your body. Mm. You felt you were fed because you were saying you were eating in I birth. Was, yeah. 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 So when you're eating, that means that you're not dehydrated. That means you're not hungry. So all of these things release oxytocin into the body. And when that releases into the body, what happens is the body kind of goes, I'm not in trouble here. I'm feeling something. So I'm going to release something to release that to, you know, kind mm. of get, get away from that pain or whatever it might be. Yeah. Um, and, th- and that's why there are women that just have like our mothers and our grandmothers have been doing it. Well, not my mother. She had a very clinical birth, um, but my grandmothers and, and their grandmothers and, and whatever for years and years and years have been doing it just the way that you and I did on our last go. Mm. Um, and what's really beautiful is that I was interviewing my mum for a part of my, my course around my birth and my sister's birth and my mum's perception and idea of birth and breastfeeding and co-sleeping drugs need to be in the hospital um don't breastfeed your uh, boobs will go saggy um don't co-sleep with your children put them in a cot all these different things my mum was saying now she was saying these were all the things that i did with you guys because I had been new to this country. I didn't speak English very well. Mm-hmm. I, I really wanted to be westernized and come away from, you know, what I had come back home. And then, and I was like, okay, that's interesting. But she goes, now when I think about it and I've seen what you've done with your children and your births, I realized that your way is the right way. And I was like, okay, that's interesting. I said, now tell me about Bee Gees birth. So my, so I said, tell me about your birth or your brothers and sisters. So my grandmother, and mm. you know what my mum described? She described me giving birth on right. all fours, standing against it. I, so I said to my mum, I've missed a generation, but I've gone back to having a birth just like grandma. Yeah. And, you know, and I feel like that's really happening now. And I think that it is mm. because of, 
you know, doulas and kind of, you know, hypnobirthing coming into the mainstream a bit more and people and women really, really understanding the power of themselves. I totally agree. And I was going to bring that up as well, that the whole, you know, if you're born like 70s, early 80s, that it was very different. My mom had three C-sections. Now, I don't know whether she had to have them or whatever, but that's what they did. Right. And it was a kind of thing where my dad wasn't in the room or whatever very different to how it is now you know she went under general anesthetic each time um and she didn't breastfeed me and I think like you said at that time that was a kind of thing now then now you know it's very normal for the dads to be there if there is a dad in the picture for them to be there that's quite normal now and and it's at the point where we kind of think that the dad's going to be the doula like that the dad is like, oh, they've got to do everything and they've got to know what I want. Give me some water, do this, do that, you know. And sometimes they don't know. And you know, I mean, to be very honest, like the first time with my first, because we were in that birthing center for so long, I looked across at my husband at one point. I don't know what I was doing. I was pacing around. He was face down on the bed asleep, looking like he'd like run a marathon because he was uh, exhausted and obviously I'm like I wasn't I didn't hold it against him I was kind of a bit like well, what are you doing here but you know it's like what can they do and the second time for some reason um, there was a point when I was left in the hospital on my own and in the hospital by in the hospital I mean I wasn't on a ward in the maternity room I was just on some random ward which is a waiting area with curtains around me and my husband had gone to drop my eldest daughter who was only one and a half at my sister-in-law's and in that time I had a gas and air I was taking that and I was already like I told you scarred from the previous birth and I was on my own in a cubicle and I felt very vulnerable and very like I was actually crying at one point like horrible just you know waiting you know and because he felt bad I was there on my own then he told the whole rest of his family quick go there with her then my brother-in-law came at one point then a sister-in-law came and one of my sister-in-laws she ended up staying for the birth and it was actually really nice to have another woman take me to the toilet you know wipe my face all these things like my husband was obviously amazing as well but that was really nice to have yeah. her there was really nice and she wasn't a mum herself like she hadn't had a kid at that point but she, she knew that, she knew and she found the whole thing fascinating because you know, she was your doula so she and all she cared about was being there for the mother and yeah. all she cared about was supporting you in any way whatever that meant you know yeah. whether that meant she's covered in blood that meant whether you're vomiting on her whether she's taking you for a wee or a poo didn't matter her role there was to to be a doula for you and that's what she and that connection is from lifetimes that you have with her and um and you know i think that i think when it comes to our the fathers um it does come with time i think i uh, Singh, he was um in the first birth I think he was quite scared um, about what was going on because there was obviously it was an emergency C-section in the end and there was like life uh, danger to life in the end. So he was quite scared and he was doing like a lot of bath during it. He was praying mm -hmm. a lot. Um, but also um, we had made a deal that I would not have epidural before the birth when we were doing our birthing plan you know right. you're in that kind of oh yeah. it's going to be like this um I, one of the things I said is I'm not going to have any drugs um so I had had guess and air um and then I had had the pethidine um and that didn't do anything and then the midwife had said why don't you have um gas uh, why don't you have um you know the, the the drugs and I looked at my sister and my sister said you do what's right for you because she was my doula 
Mm. And my husband said, but you said that you didn't want it. I don't think you should do it. I don't think you should do it. Yeah. I don't think I don't, you know, and when I looked at my sister and she's like, you do what's right for you. And then I looked at him and he was like, I don't think you should do it. And I think for men, they can be quite, um, um, their thinking can be quite narrow um, in those kinds of situations because they're not thinking about the change of a situation and how we need to adapt to that. For him, mm. it was on paper, no epidural. So for him, it was just like, we need to stick with that. I did end up having an epidural. However, mm. with the second birth, I saw him in a really different way. He was supporting me in such a way where I was like, I need you to keep me grounded with my breath and my faith. And he was really doing that. He was on this side of me and he was whispering in my ear um, certain kind of like Bhangtia um, lines from, mm-hmm. from Guru Granth Sahib Ji, from the um, uh, living Guru of the Sikhs. And my sister, she was fixing my pillow or she was giving me a straw with water. So she was there in a very different way. Mm. And the two really complemented each other. Now with the th- third and the fourth birth, both of them afterwards said, we didn't even need to be here. They literally were in the back of the corner of the room and they were just like, you know, my husband over there was, you know, um, he was praying um, just generally. And then my sister was sitting there like kind of just watching me <laughs> just like in awe. And they said to me afterwards, they said, we, we really didn't need to be there for you. But what I do feel is that over time, Um, as long as you're communicating with your partner and you're really allowing them to be a part of that moment, there are things that they can do. So one thing I say to my mums that I've supported is always have a safe word. When you feel like you're losing your focus, that safe word, your partner should know what that safe word is. So they know that they're going to come in and they're going to give you what you need to anchor you back, anchor you back away from. And so when you give your partner that role, then they feel a part of it. You know, and I think, you know, you know what it's like first time mums, first time you're having a baby and, you know, their first time dads, they don't know what they're doing. Yeah. Um, but as long, as long as we're making them a part of that moment and a doula can have a massive part to play in that. So a doula is not going to be the one necessarily who this is what I'm learning now is that we're not going to be the ones that are going to say, oh, I have to do this because I'm getting paid for this. I'm going to no. it's actually about fostering some sort of relationship between these two people and their family that's growing in this moment so you could say to the partner just give her a back rub now I think that she could need that like Mm -hmm. the doula could do that but it's much more powerful if the partner's doing it and he won't know how to do that the other thing that about the doula's role when it comes to the partner is that if the if there's something happening in the room that is maybe unexpected if the doula's like this the, the partner is going to pick up on that and then that is going to give him tension and worry. Mm-hmm. But if the doula is very calm and just can go over to the partner and say, you know what, if you need to take a break, just go and take a break. Everything's fine here. We're going to deal with it. Or why don't you just go and hold her hand right now? You know, it's about really facilitating that connection between these two people and this massive transition they're going through. So mm-hmm. it's, it's much bigger than just mothering the mother. It's also mothering the father too yeah and and supporting them did you consider going into midwifery at any point no never so why actually I don't know why I just said never because never never say never right but um no no it's they have they are underpaid they're understaffed they are overworked they um you know I I have every time I've I have friends who are midwives and they say the magic goes and the magic goes every time a baby's born mm. 
every time I've experienced a birth, I've, I've only experienced um, two births, which is uh, my best friend and my sister. Um, and and were you magic. the dealer in these? No. Oh, well, I was, but okay. not officially. Okay, okay. You know what I mean? Yes. Um, it was way before I even thought about being a doula, even though God had me on the path to be a doula from uh -huh. then. But um, um, in those um, moments, um, I... Sorry, I've lost my train of thought. I'm so sorry. Um, yeah, I interrupted you. So um, the magic of midwives midw midw say that the magic goes. Um, yeah, so I've spoken to lots of midwives and they've talked about... Um, you know, when the first, you know, hundred births is, it's magic every time, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, but the magic goes because then they have, they have files and then they have, you know, protocols and they have, you know, risk assessments and they are under so much pressure to get X amount of women mm -hmm. in and out. And that, that could make the magic go for me easily because I'm not in the moment and experiencing that all I'm thinking about is oh I've got to do this now okay I've got to do this now okay I've got to get this person into a c-section because this is taking too long this birthing suite has been busy for too long mm -hmm. I've got women out in the ward who are waiting yeah so all of these things so that's why I feel like and I think that um midwives are not trained they're trained medically but they're not trained spiritually and I think that that's the part that's missing. Can you imagine if, if doulas and midwives and the work they did came together? And, and the power in this, Benji, is, and I'm going to say this very, I say this with um, very consciously. We believe as doulas that every time we birth a baby, we're changing society. And the way we're doing that, we're doing it, we're, we're changing society one birth at a time. And the reason why we believe that is because in birth, there's a lot of trauma to be experienced. Yeah. It's not just your trauma. It's the trauma of seven generations before and what that they are carrying. And so if a woman has a really positive experience in birth, that trauma, that cycle is broken and that child will go on to so like for example if you were put in a position where in a birthing situation your adrenaline is so high and you give a, ch a birth to a baby whose adrenaline is so high there are going to be lots of complications potentially um, with that birth and with that child that child will be likely to have mental health issues there's lots of things that could potentially come out of that so that's why it's important that we are encouraging women to birth as undisturbed as possible and as beautifully and as naturally as possible where they are completely relaxed and birthing this child in an atmosphere like that because that child would then go on to really fostering that kind of a personality and go into society with that however if you are birthing a child in trauma which I have my first one um that I can really see that in her I can see she's very sensitive she's very um you know she does, takes things very personal there's lots of things about her and I know that it's because of her birth when I think about the other children and how they have been birthed I can see the similar I can see things I can see with my youngest he's the most carefree child he's the most carefree loving child mm -hmm. he was born in a pandemic he didn't have contact with anyone you would think that he would have social anxiety issues 
but no because he had the most amazing birthing experience mm. with me or he gave to me so um it, it's it's a massive thing to encourage women to have really beautiful births and it really really will change the future of the society we live in um if if it's not accompanied by so much trauma i mean i i do agree with with the things that you've said and you know, I, I've, I've got things wrong as well. Like, and, and even like to the point where I was like reading, oh, what's her name? Uh, who's that woman that writes about uh, controlled crying? I can't remember, but there was this book where it was all about controlled crying. And this is what everybody, my friends, are controlled crying, leave them. It's okay, you know. Uh, and this is, this is the thing that we did when we were like late 20s, early 30s. And, and, and I did that with my eldest. Like, you know, not just like left her of her ages, but like, put her in a different, in a separate room, like next to ours. And when she was six months, oh, it would be nice independence in this. I'm not saying if anyone, if anyone does this, I'm not saying that that is a wrong thing. But for me, it is, it doesn't sit right now, right? Yeah. That doesn't sit right at the moment. And I feel, I will feel guilty for the rest of my life because of this. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, I wouldn't, I'd, I would say to him, don't beat yourself up too much about this because the fundamentals that you're giving your child, you know, the things that they need in life and love and warmth and food and mm-hmm. all this is, is the main thing, right? But I feel and your intention. About that exactly your intention at the time was not to do any kind of damage or hurt your child right it's we're all finding our way um that i think that we need to be careful when you know when people say no one writes a book on parenting well actually hundreds and thousands of people write books (laughs) on parenting what we need to look at are what what are they trying to teach us and how much how many of those books are asking us to um to follow our intuition as mothers because i always say no one knows what to do more than a mother because that's why god gave us this intuition and we're the ones that need to follow it i mean i had a similar experience with my first child as well where you know um the gina ford kind of movement was happening at the time gina ford that's the one yeah and I I think I did it for like two days and I was like, I'm not doing this. If she needs to sleep, I'm letting her sleep. I'm not waking her up and putting her to sleep at these times. Mm. I'm I'm not good. And I was breastfeeding as well. So I was breastfeeding on demand. So I was like, no, if my child's hungry or thirsty or needs my comfort, I need to give it. And with the controlled crying, the experience I had was um, horrifying. (laughs) Um, I tried to do it. I couldn't, I literally would sit outside Mm. her room and cry myself. And that was a sign, right? If I'm sitting outside crying myself, that means that something doesn't feel right. I should have followed my instincts. After two days, I was like, I can't do this. And one of the questions I asked my mum was, would you let your, do you think it's, um, do you think it fosters a bad habit if you um, pick up your child when they cry? And she said, no. She goes, when your child's crying, that's them talking to you and communicating with you. And if you ignore that, then that sends them a big message. I thought that was quite profound for my mum to say that. Yeah. But I 100% agree with her. So I think that it's okay for anyone listening, if you are wanting to, you know, kind of follow different regimes, find the one that's right for you. But if at any point the books that or the schedules that you're following are infringing on something inside you that's telling you this isn't right, you must listen to that voice um, and trust yourself because only you know what's best. Not even I know, I don't know what's best for your child. Um, you know, even a midwife doesn't know, a health visitor doesn't know, you mm. know. And, and I think it's also about what you can mentally cope with because let's be honest, like we're talking about birth, right? And that's, and, and it can be difficult, you know, we're talking about how to make it better. But then when you've had the child, you know, it's, 
that is another whole story right and and you know you've got a crying child you're like oh I have to wake up all night and and you don't know what's going on and you know I just think for you to be remain mentally strong to do what you can you know if you need to give your child a dummy give them a dummy you know don't feel bad about these things I put a lot of pressure on myself to breastfeed yeah. didn't work out well to, and it, to the point where the third time I was like no I'm gonna do it I forgot like not forgot but like I kind of ignored the other two times where it didn't go well I thought no this time I will because I'm gonna be on it on it on it I just didn't produce enough milk she got dehydrated we ended up in A&E they were like oh I think you should give her a bottle because she's really dehydrated I ended up like crying my eyes like going but I didn't even buy a sterilizer I didn't even buy bottles because I just so badly want to breastfeed and then I had to kind of talk myself out of like no you know it's okay. okay even when I was giving her a bottle I'd give her a bottle then I'd sit down I was pumping milk trying to then do little top-ups of breast milk trying to you know sitting there for half an hour getting like this much a little small amount of breast milk and thinking oh I've got to keep going and I had to actually say to myself you need to stop this so that you can feel mentally strong again because it literally took over my life where the whole my whole day would be feeding stressing about feeding pumping milk out that was it when I stopped yeah. that and thought, you know what, you've done your best, go with the formula, it's okay. I started feeling like myself a bit, going out a bit more and stuff. I felt, I literally felt so much better as just yeah. like myself again. And that's yeah. why I say that, you know, it's, it, it doesn't have to be all perfect, it doesn't have to be all, you know, like this beautiful fairy tale or what's supposed to be natural. You think, why can't I do this? It's natural. Mm. You know, don't be yourself up about it. Even the things that we're talking about, having this natural birth, going with your instincts. It's not going to be the case for some people, is it? It's, it's, no. You would have to have no. a C-section and it's like, you can't feel like, oh no, I've messed it up. I've missed out on this beautiful natural experience. Yeah. And the thing is, no one wants to go into a situation where they, you know, the, the, what the, the key, the key message needs to be when it comes to new mums and struggling. I mean, I've, I've been supporting someone quite close to me and, and popping over there because she's really been struggling with breastfeeding. She had a real desperation I'm very pro breastfeeding, very mm. pro breastfeeding, but that's coming from someone who very easily produces milk. Yeah. I have a sister who I'm very close with. She desperately wanted to breastfeed because obviously she was watching me breastfeed all my mm. children. And she was like you, like when you were just talking, I felt like it was her talking. She was yeah. trying everything, you know, she was eating everything to produce more milk. She tried everything. Yeah. And I, I remember saying to her, you know, it's okay. It's okay. You tried. And if she ever asks you, you can say that, you know, um, but you need to make sure your child is loved, fed, you know, watered. And, and, and that's the main thing. And how, how you do that is fine. It doesn't matter. The key mm. is that you need to understand that you love your child and you're going to do what's best for your child you can't be in control of certain things. And that's, that's the end of it. You know, um, this, ben, this Benji that I've been helping quite locally, I mean, she's had a horrific experience with, with her breastfeeding journey. I mean, looking at her breasts, they were completely ripped to shreds. I don't mean to uh, paint a negative picture mm. of it, but it, it turned out that, and you know, for the, for those listening who are pregnant, you know, when your baby is born, it's most, most very, very important that you ask the medical professionals to check that the baby does not have tongue tie because of the DNA change um, over, you know, in, you know, within the human form. Now there are more people being born with a tongue tie and mm -hmm. this is called, and it's going unchecked. The cue 
the waiting list for somebody to have their child's tongue tie cut is so long now, which is why I've been saying you're never going to be able to breastfeed because your child is tongue tie and you're waiting. The waiting list is one month by that time your milk's gone. So I would encourage you to go private. Um, if you really want to breastfeed and get it cut straight away so the child can start to breastfeed. Um, with, with this, with this um, person, she, her child was tongue tied. She got, a, she got it privately cut there. We even had a lactation consultant involved. It just was not meant to be. It was not meant to be. She tried everything and, you know, I commend her for that. I, I really, mm. really do. Um, but you know, the, the key message has to be that you have to do what's right for your child. And if you feel that it's putting so much pressure on you that you're not able to enjoy your mothering journey, then maybe it's something you need to think about changing, whether that is a dummy, not giving a dummy, whether that is, you know, kind of breastfeeding or a bottle or, you know, whatever it might be, but it has to be a right decision for you. And one of the things that you said is, there's so many pressures on you um, to do this and do that. And this is what's best for the child. But ultimately not every situation is not the same. Every yep. child is different. Every mother is different. Every environment is different. So we can't compare ourselves to others and what they're doing and what they're achieving um, with their children. So just, we need to support mothers in whatever they decide yes. to do ultimately. Um, and and that, that will come from the sisterhood, right? Um, that we have so um so faith is obviously really important to you you know and your family um is is your faith something that contributed to the way you see childbirth now to you wanting to be a doula yeah absolutely i mean um i i remember in my first birth um although it ended in a c-section it was a 19-hour labor um which ended in an emergency c-section and the midwives kept on leaving the room and I kept on getting really like, why are they going? Why are they going? And I, rem um, you know, the midwife, my husband, you know, they were saying, you're handling this fine. I said, I'm not handling this fine. And I feel like because I was in the constant mode of prayer and meditation throughout the labor, mm. um, I was not um, displaying uh you know kind of like an an energetic an, a, my energy was not displaying this negativity or kind of pain or excruciating kind of help me get me out of here and so the midwife said to me at one point you know I'm helping women who are not coping in the next room right. where you are coping mm -hmm. and I really feel that if you knew me before I found my faith, I was completely the opposite. I was the biggest, I'm still a bit of a loud mouth, but I was the biggest loud mouth. I was just, you know, attitude problem up and down the, the town. Um, and I feel like if I had gone into, I, I would have been like some of the women on, you know, one born every, every minute. I would have been mm -hmm. some of those women, I think. Um, but I feel like my faith really grounded me in making this experience, all the experiences of my birth, very internal, very focused on my breath. You said it yourself, you know, mm. you, you, were, you were reading about breathing the baby out. That's exactly how it was for me. And I feel like the, the, my, also like, you know, with breastfeeding, birth, everything, I wanted it to be as natural as possible because this is what our scriptures talk about um, and talk about, you know, main, you know achieving um, as, as much as we can. And so for me, it really did change a narrative on birth for me when I found my faith. Yeah. Didn't realize it at the time, 
but it certainly did. Um, even now when I talk to mums, mums to be, or mums who have just, you know, become mums that are in post in postnatal um, stages, I'm always talking about, you know, faith and, and how, you know, their spirituality can really support their mothering skills and managing kind of, you know, their mental health challenges around, you know, the mother-in-laws coming over and thinking they know what's best and mm-hmm. all of that kind of stuff. And it's really grounding, very anchoring for me. Um, and so I just tried to encourage that with the people that I speak to. Mm. I mean, what, what are things you think in our community, um, that are maybe not so helpful and, and that could be changed because a lot of the things that we talked about already, which they used to do back in the day, Mr. Generation. Now we're kind of leading into those a bit more. You said the, the mother-in-law, that's one thing, you know, that whole family structure, is one thing which is a big deal in our community like I know somebody who's like you know what I'm going to give up breastfeeding because people are going to come around I'm the one making the tea and stuff even though I've just had a baby no point me breastfeeding you know yeah that was one of the things that I was going to mention actually like the amount of mums that phone me and say I have to stop breastfeeding because my mother-in-law said that she doesn't get to spend any time with the baby um and I don't I don't when I when I I always encourage mums to not pump until after four months because then the milk production reduces if you do Mm -hmm. it before that and she was like I can't pump because if I do the my production is going to go down anyway so I might as well just put the baby on the bottle so then she can bottle free the baby which is what she wants or you know she wants to take the baby to the gurdwara or she wants to show off with the baby and and I the thing is from the mother-in-law yes she's coming from a place that this is my grandchild and I want to show off my grandchild and I want to love my grandchild and be close with my grandchild but there is um, it's a shame that a generation has lost the idea of that really precious 40 days period of when a mother is has just been because it's not just a baby that's been born a mother has been born in that moment and she needs to be taken care of they call it shilla in um in our in our um community it's a 40-day period where the woman is to eat hot foods warm foods um her body is to be wrapped she's to rest as much as possible she will eat benjidi which is very warming to the stomach Mm -hmm. and the womb and will help the womb and the uterus to Uh, basically retract back to its natural state in that period if a mother is not looked after to a degree that is needed she will and potentially could struggle later on with other births so it's really important that we we encourage that to to do that and our mothers and our mother-in-laws are the ones that are meant to be teaching us these things and encouraging these things but that is becoming lost because they're kind of lost in their own desires and what they want um and I think that um if you don't have a grandparent at home like I didn't it's not going to be encouraged you know I I didn't have it for my first I didn't have it for my second I really wanted it for my third but he ended up back in hospital and admitted at 24 hours but my my fourth God listened to what I really wanted. God, if this is my last time of having a child, I desperately mm. want to experience Shilla. And what did he do? One week later after giving birth, put us into a lockdown. 
and I had yeah. more than a shilla. I had shilla times ten, <laughs> you know. Shilla plus. Uh, yeah, shilla, shilla plus. plus. And it's and um, so these other things like breastfeeding. I want to change the nappy. That bonding period can really be damaging to a mother and a child when when other people are interfering um, and wanting to come round. And then there's these expectations. The other thing is that in our culture, what used to happen was when the baby was going to be born before she would go to stay with her parents yes because with her parents she was not required to do any work she was going to be looked after she would be massaged she would be eating loads she would be completely in rest mode and really in a relaxed state of mind which will allow oxytocin to flow and for her to have Mm -hmm. a beautiful birth it's not happening anymore because mother-in-laws and and in-laws are saying to girls you can't do that anymore you know you can't go there um we don't want you to go there there's all of this other baggage that comes with that and it's very damaging or what would another thing that used to happen is when the girl had had the baby she would then go to live with her parents afterwards so the the non gear like so the girl's yeah. side of the family they would be able to look after her as she heals in that shiller period that's not happening anymore either so um and sometimes these, it can't though can it because of the distance and stuff yeah um, yeah i mean absolutely there i was going to say there are people you know who are living you know in other countries now as especially in the diaspora right where we are marrying people in canada and america and all over the mm-hmm. place so it is harder to do that the other thing is because of the way the maternity the, because of the way the maternity services work in in the west right um, you go to your hospital, you know where you're going, you know who you're going to be seeing, you know how it works there. During our grandmother's times, you used to just have a baby anywhere. So it didn't matter where you, whether you're yeah. at your, you know, if you're going to another bind and having the baby or you're going to have the, at your in-laws house, it didn't matter. So there are different di- di- uh, geographical kind of elements to this as well. Yeah. Um, but if there is an opportunity to go back to your parents and have that rest period, I would definitely say take it. Yeah. That's really important. Don't underestimate that 40 days. Also, um, when you have a baby, you're required to go and have certain appointments, hearing test, um, other kinds of various things mm-hmm. where you take a little red book and you're checked. You can actually say, I'm not going, you need to come to me and they can send someone and you, and I have done this with other months mm-hmm. and myself where I've said, I'm in Schiller. So someone needs to come to me and the midwife and the health visitors, they will come to you. So it's not that you have to go out. You have to take your child out and expose them right. to the elements two days after being born. So it's just, these are things that are not being I did told. Not know right? that. Yeah. I didn't know that. And I think when, for me, every time I had a baby, like my mom would come and stay and that was really amazing, you know, and, and you shouldn't have to worry about, Oh, I've got to make dinner for the whole family now and then breastfeed this new one and stuff. If you, if possible, you shouldn't have to worry about that. You should be literally recovering from a birth and then, you know, you have to wake up at night feeling on demand and all that kind of stuff. So it's exactly what you said. If that is available, I just think that's such a nice thing. Like some people take pride in saying, well, I was out the next day, you know, I went town the next day and I'm like, should you have done that? Like, you know, it's, it's nice to be like, Oh, you know, I'm back to normal going out and about, you know, face full of makeup out there in the world. Brilliant. If you want to, but I, like you said, I just think your body has literally turned itself inside out in a way like it's just been through so much no as exactly what you've just said is exactly how that's the language we need to be using is that your body has gone through a massive thing a massive transition you know when you 
um, graduate from school or university, you need to take a moment to recognize I've just done all of this for the last three years and I've just gone through this ceremony and this is what I've achieved and this is what I've become now. I'm a PhD or I'm a BA or a MA or a BSc. Mm. This is what I am. As mothers, are we doing that? Are we kind of saying, oh my God, I conceived a child through love. And then I have gone and carried and grown that child for nine to 10 months. And then I have pushed that child out of me and connected with someone else, another soul in such a way. Have I, and become a mother in the process. Have we given ourselves that mental space to kind of acknowledge that? No, we haven't. And this is why it's really important that we take that time. And I've seen the damage it's caused me. I was one of those people. I was out the next day and I had a C-section, you know, um, and I was like up and out and going to this appointment and that appointment. And I was feeling like, oh, I want to go to, you know, mother care when we had mother care, mm -hmm. heartbreaking mother care, no more. Um, going to mother care and I want to buy this baby grow and I want to buy this baby grow. I had such a long recovery. It's taken me so many years to be where I am now in my physical self um, because I just did not look after myself in that postnatal period. So I really, really would encourage it. Um, and yeah, there's loads of things that we could you could potentially do. Um, I know that there might be restrictions like that we've discussed, but ultimately, if you want to go on to have another child, especially... Mm. You need to make sure that the womb and the uterus have healed nicely, ready to welcome the next soul. So uh, it's really important to think about the future in that way and not tomorrow, what am I doing? Mm. My, my nanny explained it to me just in like a very simple sentence on the phone. She was like, look, you know, you need to be careful. She said to me, when you have a baby, you know, your whole body is rocked by that birth. So you can't just be like, oh, you know, up and out again. So, and, and I, I always remember that she said that to me. So what a beautiful yeah. way to say it. It's so true. It's so true because it's a hormones as well, isn't it? It's not just like, okay, that's healed, you know, or my scars healed. That is, it's everything. Yeah. Um, but I, I really do feel like, you know, how you were saying about breaking that cycle of the, the trauma of birth. Oh my God, it's so horrific. And it has to be horrific. And, and, and I feel like I've broken that because you know, I can say to my kids, I've got three girls, you know, no, this is what, you know, I would advise you to go with your body, go with your gut. And I feel like that whole going with your gut to me, when I felt like, no, go with what's natural, it awoke something in me, which I apply to life as in, if something doesn't feel right, you know, and I say to my kids, even with people, if something doesn't feel right. You have this inbuilt thing. Animals know, right animals give birth wherever under trees and whatever right? they know and they know to keep away from certain things and other species and whatever it's a thing that we know which we have kind of dampened down because we think that we're like so intellectual we're above it all I don't think we're above a gut instinct and I feel like I've I'm trying to apply that to life and also to my kids like go with that intuition inside yeah. it's, it's it's there for a reason but I feel like I have broken that cycle that I can say to them no it can be a an empowering thing it's amazing that's amazing it's such an achievement and blessing to experience such a thing like that you know yeah. um that trend transgenerational trauma you don't know how many life cycles um you know your families have gone through or the women in your family have gone through and experienced such a thing and you know you've taken that step to just kind of go 
that's not happening now and your that your daughter's their perception of birth is going to be so different to what it could potentially be and the thing is media doesn't help i mean there is um a show called one born every minute where they show they cut together you know women screaming their heads off and you know you know all these kind of you know alarms going off and people rushing mm -hmm. in and you know they try to build up this idea of you know that birth is going to be like that and the thing is this is all connected to the pharmaceutical industry it's much bigger than just um women you yeah. know that they need to stay in business and to stay in business they need women to have traumatic births because when they have traumatic births they're going to need to be medicated to support them through that whether it's going to be an epidural whether it's going to be a c-section where they're going to need medication afterwards these things are all interlinked and when doulas are coming forward or other kind of um you know kind of natural doctors are coming forward and saying hey you know what i can help you with your cancer i can help you with your birth you can have this natural you can have that natural that's a threat to this major industry that is has a, a massive impact on the kind of uh the systems that we kind of are living in um yeah. so it's actually much bigger than um i mean i don't want to go into it because that's it can be quite system, that is a whole thing it and is. I 100% agree with what you're saying and believe the same thing but that it's a uh, mind-blowing and it's a uh, it is, yeah, it is but just to kind of drop that little nugget in there for those that want to go ahead and go and do some research around it but you know there is um, benefit there is benefit out there to keep women having traumatic births what they don't realize is that society through those traumas would become more and more damaged um, and and that's why we need to try our best to try and go with undisturbed births, however that may look. Um, there's a difference between a natural birth and an undisturbed birth. There's difference, and so having the understanding that you would want to experience something like that, that's the first step in the right direction, I think. Yeah. Thank you so much, Des, for coming on. Um, it's been really nice talking to you. Like, uh, honestly, it's been really, really nice connecting with you. Okay. And I definitely want you to come back and talk about other things in the future. So if people want to find out a bit more about you, um, your family, because you share quite a few nice things um, online and stuff. So where's uh, just, just share your, your handles and everything. So um, you can catch me on Twitter, Seek Mum. Uh, Instagram, Seek Mum. Um, and I'm also on, um, I have a website www.seekmum.com. There's lots of resources around raising children in faith, but also, um, pregnancy, breastfeeding, um, and kind of birthing, um, you know, resources there. Um, and yeah, if you want to have a chat, just drop me a DM anytime. Thank you so well, much for having you. me. It's been really wonderful. I feel like, uh, it, doesn't, it didn't even feel like an interview. It felt like just a chat, and which is so nice and yeah, natural. Yeah, it's been quite emotional at times. Yeah, no, it's been lovely. It's been. Yeah, really I'm kind. always emotional. I'm always crying, so I'm sorry <laughs> about that. That's okay. okay. Um, and listen, thank you for listening. Um, please do share this with people. Um, you know, write a nice review on Apple Podcasts. That's going to help other people to find this podcast. But yeah, thank you so much for tuning in. Catch up with you again next week. Bye.